One of the things I love about Grace Church of DePage is your love for the Word of God. And the Word of God is, is amazing, it's deep, it's rich, and often it's even deeper than we know or see. And as we go through this text this morning, I want to ask you to be curious. Just be curious the whole way and watch the details. Because sometimes there's things that you, you don't see if you're not curious and looking for the details. And this story is the story of the transfiguration, which we all know, right? Yeah, we all know this story. Well, let, let's start. And we're going to start a little bit before the story begins, or, or maybe before we think the story begins. We'll start in verse 27. It's at the end of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and he says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Oh, what a, what a statement. And what is he talking about? Well, when was the fulfillment of this statement? Well, some might say they saw the kingdom of God when they saw Jesus rise from the dead or when they saw him ascend. But he said in here, uh, some of you will not taste death. So all of them saw him rise from the dead and all of them saw him ascend. So how, how could that be? Or, or maybe we think the kingdom of God, when they talk about seeing it, that's going to be his, his second coming. Some will see that, but it said they wouldn't taste death until then. So what event is he referring to when he says they're going to see the kingdom of God. Well, you'll see a little break in your text there, but in the original text it wasn't. This story continues. About eight days after saying this, he took Peter and John and James with him to the mountain and began to pray. And I actually believe that we're coming into the fulfillment of what he said, that the sum were those three that he took with him, and they're going to see the kingdom of God. This is what he's talking about. So this, this is where we get curious. Uh, the kingdom of God, that's, a, that's an amazing, amazing thing. What comes to your mind when you hear the words, the kingdom of God, and wouldn't you like to see the kingdom of God come? It's something we pray, whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what would happen if God answered that prayer? What would happen if you saw God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Well, these three are about to uh, see it. So what did they see? What, what was his kingdom coming? Now, this idea of the kingdom was full of meaning for the early disciples. In Acts 1-6, after he was raised from the dead, they came together and they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God to Israel? So they were just curious. They obviously thought that the kingdom would mean that God would fix these problems with the Roman occupiers and straighten things out so that Israel was again living out the promises of God. Uh, he, he didn't do that. And in fact, in Luke 24, 21, on the road to Emmaus, they're complaining because they say, we had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. So they thought that the, the kingdom coming would fix a lot of their practical problems. Would that happen if the kingdom came to us? What, what would it be like if we saw his kingdom come? on earth as it is in heaven. So keep that kind of curiosity in your mind as, as we continue this. You know, what, what does this kingdom look like? What does it look like when it comes? So about after eight days of these saying, he put, took Peter and John and James and went up to the mountainside to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. Now, what's happening here? Uh, Glow-in-the-dark sticks stuck somewhere. What's actually happening? Well, we know in Philippians that when Jesus became incarnate, fully God became fully man, 
He didn't become fully man by losing his deity. In Philippians it says, though he was the son of God, in, in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, the kenosis, by taking the form of servant in the likeness of a man. So as he became fully man, he did not lose any of his deity. It was veiled. So maybe like a, a seeing man puts a blindfold across his eyes so that functionally it's like he can't see. Jesus lived a life 100% as a man, but never lost his deity. And this is one of those moments where the veil that's separating his humanity and his deity gets kind of thin, and we start seeing the light showing through, like his, his deity's pressing through that veil that's veiling it, and his clothing becomes dazzling white. One of these thin spaces where the, the space between the seen and the unseen world becomes thin, and we start... Uh, the unseen world starts peering through to the, to the seen world. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. You ever wondered why these two? Let's, let's be curious, kind of kick in that curiosity hat. Why? Why Moses? Why Elijah? I, I, I might choose some different people right here. So we're going to talk about the, the kingdom, right? It's going to come. I, I might uh, want to see Abraham, because he like started this whole thing, the patriarch that got the first promise of God, he was going to be made a great nation, or David, why didn't David show up? The, the greatest king, Jesus was in the lineage of David, uh, the son of David, or, or if you're going to get a prophet, let's get Isaiah, like one of the big prophets, who had a lot to say about the kingdom, so much prophecy, he could fill in some more information, or... Maybe I would get Daniel to show up because Daniel had those visions of the, of the big stone crushing all the other kingdoms, and then, you know, he talked a lot about the kingdom. So why do we have Moses and Elijah? You ever wondered about that? Get curious. Why Moses? Why Elijah? Why these two? You ever wondered about that? Okay, so a little, I want you to think a little bit further. To the person next to you, if you were a Jew in this day, and someone said Moses... What's the first thing that would come to your mind? And if you were doing this day, if someone said, Elijah, what do you think would be the first thing that would come to your mind? So say that to the person next to you. Get, get curious here. And what would, what would come to your mind if you heard the word Moses or Elijah? Tell the person next to you. This is quiz time. Moses, Elijah. Okay, Moses, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, wow, you, that was quick. <laughs> so not, not the Red Sea or something like that, the law. Okay, good. Moses, the law. Uh, what about Elijah? What's that? Prophets, okay. Prophets, anything else comes to your mind? So, say they? Elijah, Passover? Okay, maybe. Anything else? This, is, this one's a little harder. You got Moses quick. That was, that was great. Elijah. Okay, that's interesting. Taken up. Now, some, people, some, of, some of you might say, well, remember Elijah was prophesied. Maybe that's where that prophet came from. That before the Messiah was come, Elijah was going to come. But Jesus said that John the Baptist was that Elijah. And he'd already said that. But someone said, okay, he was taken up, right? One of the only people in the Bible, unique, who didn't die... And Enoch just kind of walked with God and disappeared, but everyone saw, at least some people saw, 
Elijah being taken away on that chariot of fire. Very unique. He skipped death, our great enemy. He just kind of did a detour around it and went directly to heaven. The only one, very unique in that. Okay, Elijah, Moses, the law, Elijah kind of got on that chariot and went directly to heaven. Interesting. And then Jesus is not just kind of shaking hands with them saying, great to see you again. He's actually having a conversation with them. Now, don't you wonder what they're talking about? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you wonder, like, what the, they get together and they talk, say, oh, what are you, you know, you look great, Moses. <laughs> Haven't aged a bit. Elijah, didn't, that, that fire didn't burn you, you know? You just, you, you, complexion looks great. Don't you wonder what they're talking about? Well, actually, the text tells us what they were talking about. So look down, let's get, let's get curious. They who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they're talking about his departure that he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What a funny topic. Does it make you curious? Like, were they going, hey, uh, Jesus, you know, when you head down to Jerusalem, it's Passover. It's going to be really busy. Don't take, you know, don't, don't come in on the north gate. Go around, and there's much less traffic down below if you come in from the valley. And go, go in on Thursday, not on Friday. You know, it's, it's, is this like trip directions? Or um, why were they talking about his trip to Jerusalem? Oh, wait, that's not what they were talking about. They were talking about his departure that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. A departure that he was going to accomplish. Why would the three of them be talking about a departure he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem? I hope you're getting curious right now. Like, why, why this topic? Why does Scripture record it? Why do they remember it? Well, um, now, something that's interesting is this word, departure. Departure. You'd have to dig a little deeper to find out what's going on here, but there are different Greek words that are often translated to the same English word. And there are um, at least 12 different Greek words that are translated departure. So when you read departure, you don't know which of those Greek words has been translated departure. And there's some of them that are very common. For, uh, for instance, one of them is... Um, Ex, ex ercomai, and it, you don't have to remember these, but this is interesting, okay, 219 times, and it means to depart or go away. It's not that word. Uh, it, it could be poreomai, which is translated 154 times, and it means to travel, journey, and it also can mean to die. 154 times, it's not that word. Uh, there's this word, uh, hupago, which means to just go away, and, and we see it 80 times in Scripture. It's not that word. Then, then there's one in 2 Timothy 4, 6, which says the time of my departure is at hand. It's, that's the only one time. It's not that word either. It's a word that we only see three times in the New Testament. So the word departure is translated a lot. And you, know, you, you might, I told you these other words and you didn't recognize them, but you might recognize this word because this word is... Exodus. In fact, if you have an ESV, you'll see a little bitty uh, one right there, and down at the bottom you'll see Greek Exodus. Oh, it's there. You've got to be curious, right? Dig a little bit. He was talking about the Exodus that was going to be accomplished in Jerusalem. What's that? Now, this word accomplished is also really interesting. It's only translated twice as accomplished, and it's translated 40 times as fulfill. 
It actually means to complete. So the exodus he was going to complete or fulfill, he was going to accomplish by finishing it in Jerusalem. And he's talking to Moses and Elijah. What in the world is going on and how does this relate to the kingdom of God? Okay, we've got to, got to be, get really curious. Let's, go, let's talk about Moses here for a little bit. Moses, the law, the giver of the law. And we know that the law is wonderful. It's great. Psalm 119 says, oh, how I love your law. It's like honey. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my eyes. Psalm 1 says, if you meditate on the law of God, you'll be like a tree planted by a river, bears its fruit in a season. Whatever you do is going to prosper. That's fabulous. I mean, God lays out his expectations, the way our life is supposed to run according to his kingship, and we just need to follow it. Uh, but there's a downside to God's law. In Romans 7, Paul says, in my mind I agree with God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. He's saying there's things that I know that I have a hard time doing. And in Galatians, it says, this is wild, it says, Galatians 1.10, it says, 3.10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So the law is honey, it's a lamp, it's good, and it, and it curses me. Why? Because cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written into the book of the law and do them. So this wonderful law of God is also a curse to me because I am aware that I'm not fulfilling all of it, and that... <laughs> That lack of performance actually brings a curse to my life. So, there's this exodus in Jerusalem that's supposed to complete something that he's talking with Moses about. You starting to track with some of this? Okay. Well, there's this curse that has to be taken care of in order for the law to be something really good in my life. And where was the first place that Jesus went to when he exodusted, when he departed from Jerusalem? He went down to Jerusalem. Where did he depart to? The grave, right? His first departure from Jerusalem was actually a departure to hell in some ways. In fact, in the Apostles' Creed, it says, Christ was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell and the third day rose from the grave. Now, some people will argue with that and say, wait, the Bible doesn't say he actually went to hell. And you're right, it doesn't say exactly that. In Ephesians 4, 8 through 9, it says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended to the lower regions of the world. And this is where the Apostle Creed is, is getting that from. The lower regions of the world, it's saying, is, is hell. So whether it was actually literally hell, which it sure could have been, or figuratively hell, we know that where he went encompassed all of the reality of hell. Because what is hell? Hell is separation from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hell is punishment uh, for our sins that he bore on the, on the cross. Uh, we, we know that hell was, it was condemnation, suffering, the, the, the weight of all of that guilt. And when Jesus departed, he did his exodus from Jerusalem, he, he went to a place that I should have to go. The law should send me into the curse of the fact that I don't keep the law. I'm headed for hell. I'm headed there. 
there's condemnation. Jesus went there to somehow fulfill, complete the work that Moses couldn't complete by giving us a law. He couldn't release us from the curse of the law. Only Jesus could do that by his departure from Jerusalem to hell on my behalf. Well, how does this bring the kingdom to you? How does this kingdom come when he goes to hell on your behalf? How does that work? Uh, when my dad was 85 years old, he was visiting us, and I, I was having this conversation with him. I said, Dad, wow, when you look back on your life, I just admire my dad. He's, he's absolutely my hero. When you look back on your life, you know, what do you think as you just reflect on all that God's done through you? My dad trusted Christ when he was in the Navy, then started a mission organization to sailors. I was born in the Philippines where my parents ministered to sailors uh, in, the, in the Navy there. Then he went on to become the director of the organization, started the ministry in Europe, has discipled people all his life. Just, just an uh, amazing hero of the faith. I said, Dad, when you look back on your life, like, what do you feel? He says, you want, want me to be honest? Yeah, Dad, I want you to be honest. He said, regret? Well, that was, that's not the word I was expecting from you. I said, why is that? He says, well, when you get older, kind of life slows down, and you have a time to replay the different chapters of your life that went before. And often I see like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Wow, I really missed that. Mm, messed up on that relationship. Wow, I wish I could take that back. And he says, I, I, I see all the spots that I wish I could do again and fix, and I can't. It's gone. It's done. And now I'm at a stage where I can't do that over again. And he said, I'm often just beaten up by regret. Well, I started listening to his conversation. I realized that that was true. He was often referring to something he made a mistake in in the past or replaying a little bit or apologizing to us. And it was really hard on me as his son because I admired him so much. Finally, after about a week of us being together, I said, Dad, we've we just got to we gotta, we gotta pray about this. God has something. This, this is not where God wants you to be, I know. So can we just pray that he, he shows us what's going on? And so my dad agreed. One of the things I love about my dad is teachable all the way into his higher age. And so um, we sat down on the couch in my office and, and just began to pray. I said, God, show us what's going on. There's something, something we're missing. There's, there's something that's not right. This is not what you want. And we just were quiet. We are just were waiting for the Holy Spirit to reveal. And, um, and my dad said, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's like I look down at my chest, kind of in the spiritual world, and I see this breastplate of righteousness, but mine has lots of holes in it. There's just holes in a lot of places. And I'm always trying to patch them up and rearrange it to cover the spots, but I'm not doing a very good job of it. And it was just quiet for a minute, and then he went, oh, my. That breastplate's not supposed to be my righteousness. That's supposed to be the righteousness of Christ. It was something he probably knew intellectually and theologically, but wasn't experiencing practically. And then there was a couple more minutes. This was just God's spirit speaking. I was just quiet, just praying for my dad while this was going on. And then he says, oh, my. He says, I've been trying to be my own savior. You know, what's interesting is often when we think of the saving work of Christ, we think it's when we put our faith in him for our salvation, like we confess our sins and, and then we know we're going to heaven. But we need his saving work every day. 
there's ongoing saving that we need from that we can't fix just by working hard at being better. We can't fix just by learning all the laws and putting them into practice. We will not be enough because this wonderful Word of God will also bring condemnation to our lives. It'll bring a curse. And unless Jesus completes the work of Moses by going to hell on our behalf, we're lost. And he has to go to hell on our behalf like every day. And my dad spun around, just, I just watched him, he spun around, he knelt down beside the couch where we were sitting, and he says, God, please forgive me for trying to be my own Savior. Forgive me for trying to be my own Savior. You know, here's one of the things about people who are serious about following God. Satan loves to spin it and hammer us with accusations. You ever find this true? Like, you love God's law, and you get into it, you're reading Scripture, and and then it just starts pounding, and you go, I'm not doing, I'm not praying enough, I'm not reading enough, I'm not being a good enough parent to my kids, I'm not a great enough witness at work, and the accuser who will accuse us in the presence of Jesus, it says in Romans, I mean, Revelation, the accuser will, and even our flesh, will just start to hammer us, using this wonderful law of God, and uh, bring these curses and our only hope is in the work of Jesus. Is when we don't try to be our own savior and we allow Jesus to bring the kingdom by finishing the work of Moses and going to hell on our behalf. His kingdom comes when he becomes king of your past. And your past might be the last half an hour. It might be the last 24 hours. He becomes king of your fast by fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law, Romans 8.4. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on your behalf. His exodus to the grave brings the kingdom for you when you allow him to be king of your past. Did you, we, you know, we put those accusations on Jesus. And, and you know, what, what's interesting is that um, he didn't just take your sins in Isaiah, it says he took your sins and he took your sorrows, he took your griefs, he took your iniquities. There's all kinds of things that Jesus took on the cross. And even, I believe, sins against you. When people sin against you and you can't bear it, that has to be transferred to the cross. That, those sins against you would send you to hell, would be con condemning for you. Unless they're transferred to Jesus and taken by him to hell and left there as he triumphs over them in the resurrection as he crushes the, he the head of, of Satan, that great accuser, by his heel, uh, well, we're not going to experience the kingdom without his departure to hell. Well, then there's, Mo there's Elijah. Elijah. Elijah skipped death. So he, he skipped death and uh, got to heaven without, what's our, actually, death is our great enemy, last enemy to be conquered, according to Corinthians. Uh, we're always deteriorating and heading that direction. Some of you have gray hair like I'm getting, and you know the body is kind of working less effectively every day, and, and death is creeping up on us. And what's interesting is that Jesus was the first fruits. He was the first one to be resurrected, not backwards into life. When Lazarus was resurrected, he was resurrected backwards and then, and then died again. But Jesus was resurrected forward was the first one for, for with the getting a new body. Even Elijah didn't get that. So Elijah went around death, but Jesus went through death and opened a way forward. And the Bible says that if 
Christ has been raised from the dead, then there's been a way for us to, to go forward too, and that we then can count on the, the promise of a new life. So this great enemy that's coming towards us from the future, Jesus' second exodus, remember his second exodus? He went up on a mountain, and he says, hey, the same way I'm leaving, I'm going to come back. And then they just stood there, and he just went like this. This new body that he had could just skip death. It wasn't going to die anymore, and he went straight to heaven. It's exodus to heaven after he conquered the grave is what ensures that that way is open for me too. Uh, well, my dad in uh, April of last year had his 95th birthday. It's a long time, isn't it? And on his birthday, uh, after his birthday, we celebrated. He, um, he said he wanted a gun and a knife for his birthday, <laughs> 95. So um, mom got him a new knife for his garden and then a massage gun, you know, one of those <laughs> things like that. So he thought that was pretty funny. But I talked to him a couple weeks afterwards. I said, Dad, how you doing? He says, well, it's, um, he says, I'm dying. Kind of interesting because normally his phrase, if you asked him how he was doing, he'd always say, I'm going to live forever. That was his phrase, but he says, I'm dying. And he said, um, I said, what's, what's that like? He says, well, I've never done this before. <laughs> but he could feel it was, it was coming. As, you know, this, these are not easy conversations to have with someone who's going, but I said, tell me, tell me more about what that's like. He says, well, it's like uh, climbing a high mountain in the fog. And the higher you go, the thinner the air gets and the steeper the climb. And you don't know where the end is, but you just have to keep going. You know that some some point you'll reach the top. Well, on uh, July 13th, so just a couple days from now, last year, I was up late and at 12 o'clock at night I got a text from my brother who was visiting my dad and he says, Dave, you've got to come right now. I think we're at the end. And so I bought a plane ticket at 12.30 and drove through the night to Krakow and got a COVID test at 4 a.m. and got on a plane at 7 and, and by 3 the next afternoon I was in Denver and by the time I got to my parents' house my dad was already unresponsive and uh, we just sat in the living room and held watch. I know some of you have done this with your relatives, with your parents. It's just a holy time, right? You know you're at the, the gateway of heaven. You're thinking about precious people that mean a lot to you. And just before midnight, my sister called us over and my dad stirred and he opened his eyes. He took just a couple of breaths. Well, before then, what was interesting was the whole time he was puffing like he was going up a mountain, just like in that thing. We could just see the exertion. But then he stopped. He opened his eyes, took a couple of breaths, and then he was just gone. If you've been there, when someone goes, it's, you, you kind of don't know what to do. It's just, they're, they're just gone. And it, in that moment, uh, all of a sudden, all of the cuckoo clocks in our house started ringing. He, it was two minutes before midnight, and, and they had like six or seven. It was like, like the bells, but it was cuckoo clock bells. And my brother went into the room to get my mom, who was asleep, and, and she came out, and uh, she came out and saw him. She said, he's gone. Praise the Lord. That's a really interesting response, isn't it? From a woman who's just lost her husband of 65 years. 
praise the Lord, why would you praise the Lord when someone dies? Because all of us knew where he was, right? And all of us knew that that's a passage that we must pass and that that enemy of death actually has been conquered and that there was nothing wrong with him where he was right now, right? And that we're going there soon. That is just such an amazing, unbelievable hope. Next morning, I came down. Oh, I missed my dad like crazy, so when we talk about this. Um, but even isn't that some of the richness of life, right? That people are precious to us and that life doesn't end. But I put my arm, hand on my mom's shoulder the next morning and she said, Mom, how are you doing? She says, I'm doing okay. I'm trusting the Lord and so grateful for all the ways that he's taken care of us. And one of the big ways God has taken care of all of us is he's conquered death. Isn't that amazing? Like any time you look into the future, the very worst thing that can happen is you can die. Like you see economic troubles coming and problems at your work. And okay, just multiply them times everything and you just get killed. And you will go directly into the presence of God and be with him forever. Remember someone who worked in an old folks home for missionaries in England and someone asked her are you ever there when they die and she said oh I wouldn't miss it I wouldn't miss it she says every time a saint dies you caps catch a glimpse of heaven as they go through the door you know because that's what's on the other side so he has conquered he's the king of our future And the ascension not only ensures our future, but in in the spiritual world, we're ascended with him right now. In Ephesians 2, it says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he blessed us, even when we're dead in our transgressions, has made us alive together with Christ. You've been seated with him in the heavenly places. So here is is the thing that your future is secure. You're going there and you're already there. That because of the resurrection we have all of the resources of Christ right available to us right now. And so your future is secure, both your near future, because you're seated with Christ and you have all of the resources of Christ for whatever you will face tomorrow, and your far future, because death is only a door to eternity with him. You're headed towards heaven, and in some ways, you're already there. So his kingdom comes when he becomes king of your future, by assuring you of how your story ends and giving you constant access to all the resources of Christ. When, when Jesus did his exodus into heaven, he finished the work that Elijah didn't finish because he couldn't make a way for anyone else. I work to go there. Now, the story continues. C- continue being curious. It says, um, now Peter and those who were with him were thinking very deeply about these things that were happening. And that what the text says? Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep when they became fully awake. Do you ever know any times where the disciples, like, miss key things that are going on because they can't stay awake? Like, Jesus is praying, and, they, you know, they're, they're waking up. In the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and wait for him, and they, they couldn't stay awake. Oh, so this is a wonderful thing. The kingdom's coming, and they, and they, and they almost miss it because they can't stay awake. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Okay, now we've got to make this right. So now we're seeing the kingdom come, 
And as the men were parting from him, Jesus said, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I love scripture. He's, he's talking without thinking. He's waking up and just starts talking. Now, isn't it interesting that, um, that that happens to us too? Do you ever find when, uh, it, it happens to us in, in this way that, that we think God's not doing anything and he's doing things all the time. You know, the king is always active. We think just because we're not aware of it, there's nothing going on, but he's working all the time. And sometimes he wakes us up into his plan. We start becoming aware of what he's doing. And then what's the first thing we start to do? Giving him instructions. Because wouldn't that be great, you know? So, oh God, oh, this is what you're doing? Well, would you please uh, do this and do this and do this? Now, how many times are, do our prayers sound like that? We're kind of waking up into God's plan and then, and then we're giving him a grocery list. You know, as long as you're going to the store, could you pick up these things for us and, and, and finish this? And here's your to-do list, God. This is what he's telling him. Hey, master, it's, this is good. We just got to make it a little bit better by doing three tents and, 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 uh, and wow. And then this voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, here's one of the things about the kingdom. that The king, because he's king, he's always at work. He's always doing things. And there's two questions that we should ask every day as we talk to God. Here's the first question. God, what are you doing? Like, can you let me in on what you're doing? Because he's doing things. And the second question is, what do you want me to do? Wouldn't those be better questions for Peter to be asking right now? What are you doing? And what do you want me to do because when we line ourselves up with the sovereign work of God that's when we begin to experience his work so on February 24th when we had a lot of plans for a lot of things and all of a sudden there's this terrible horrible tragic interruption of a war in Ukraine we could say oh oh no uh, what are we going to do now you know sometimes we think God is surprised by the events that surprise us like he goes I had some plans to bless you, but I wasn't counting on inflation being so high. Don't know exactly what I do right now. Yeah, I want your church to, to, to grow and flourish, but ooh, COVID. We'll have to just put that on pause till it's all done, you know. Or, or um, hey, I, 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 I want to do something in your family, but ooh, those rebellious kids. Hmm, got to think about that one. Don't know quite what to do. See, part of the thing with a king knows everything. The king is in control. The king is never surprised. And so what's most important for us is to say, God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? How do we get on his, his, um, his agenda? Peter becomes the boss, but the kingdom comes when, when, when we just submit ourselves every day to the sovereignty of God and say, God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? You know, it was, it was interesting. One of our staff members in, in Serbia Lockdown came, coronavirus, canceled all his events. And so he just woke up the next morning and said, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? God said, I'm, I'm doing things. I'm, 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 do, I'm doing things. What do you want me to do? Ah, he just really sensed the Lord laying on his heart to do a five-minute Bible video and put it on YouTube. So he did it, did a five-minute Bible teaching, put it on YouTube. Did it the next day, a little five-minute video on YouTube. And pretty soon he found out there's like 100 people following his five-minute 
videos. He would sit at his desk and just say, this is what I learned in my morning devotions. So he kept doing it, did, did week three and four, and pretty soon, you know, so there was like 500 people listening to his five-minute video. He's a 32-year-old young Serbian pastor on our team, and uh, so he just kept doing it. God, what are you doing? This is, life has changed around, but you're in sovereign control. What do you want me to do? And he kept doing these five-minute, pretty soon there was a thousand people watching his five-minute videos. Pretty soon there was 5,000 people watching his five-minute videos. He's done these once a day for two years, and he right now has 57,000 people watching his little five-minute videos. 57,000 people following his Facebook site in a country with only 11,000 evangelical believers. You can imagine a little, you know, a 32-year-old Serbian pastor preaching to 57,000 people when there's only 11,000 evangelicals in the country. That's pretty cool, right? And part of it's because the king is always working, and when we get on his agenda, when we start listening to him, we actually find that life gets pretty exciting because what seems to be out of our control is not out of his, and he's accomplishing his purposes if we'll, we'll align ourselves with his will. So this is what's interesting about the kingdom. There's a now and a not yet aspect to the kingdom. The king will return in the second coming, establish his kingdom on earth, and he's going to fix all of the problems that we just keep trying to fix with the world, and there's lots of them. He's going to fix them. He'll fix all our practical problems someday in the future. But his kingdom can come for us personally before that happens. There's a now and a not yet his kingdom can come on earth as it does in heaven today as he becomes king of your past by going to hell in your place, king of your future by ensuring you that, that, your, that your future, both near and far, is secure, and king of your present as you submit his sovereign control and ask him, God, what are you doing today and what do you want me to do? And here's my question for you today. What would happen if today his kingdom came for you. Do you have to wait till the second coming? Today. Like you may be beating yourself up with a lot of hell things that you're going to and that you're trying to fix and, and you've got to let him take that trip to hell and let him become king of your past. Let him do it. You can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Put him on Jesus. And there may be a lot of things in your future that you're concerned about even the decay of your body and health issues, and, and you've got to make him king of your future and realize that your future is absolutely secure. Just put that in his hands. Or king of your present. You're wrestling with things, and you're trying to tell God what to do. Hey, God, let's three-tenths over there, you know, and let's stay here a little bit longer. And, and he seems to be, it all seems to be chaotic, but the king is in control. What is he doing? What does he want you to do? We need to hear this voice from heaven that says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father, we, we'd love to apply this. We don't just want to be hearers of your word. We want to be doers. We're looking forward to your kingdom coming, but we want to see your kingdom come today. So God, Jesus, be king of my past, my sins, my failures, the things I can't change, the hell the evil one wants me to go to, the hell that's come to me. 
Jesus, go to that hell on my behalf and conquer. Crush the head of the serpent. I trust in you for my redemption. And Jesus, be king of my future. I don't know what's going to happen with the world and a war and upheaval and inflation and change and health problems with my wife and leadership burdens. But you have conquered my future and opened a way into your presence and my future both near and far is secure because of your exodus to heaven on my behalf. And Jesus, be king of my present. You are working even when I'm asleep. You wake me up into your plan. And when you wake me up, help me to ask what you're doing and not just tell you what to do. I want to see your kingdom come in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.